0: So I did quite a bit of Ikrons, which is still my favorite creatures in the first movie and this movie, it was just so enjoyable. I get to work on Ikrons because in the first film, I love those flying sequences. It was just so iconic and I really, everybody needs to study how they did it in the first film and you really need to nail that same vibe.
1: <laughs> Welcome to this week's Animator's Journey podcast episode. I have Kevin Land with me. He has worked on movies like The Revenant, Kong Skull Island, Life of Pi. I worked with him at Atomic Fiction on many projects, and most recently he worked on Avatar The Way of Water at Weta. Real quickly, if you're interested in starting your own animator's journey, check out animatorsjourney.com where you can enroll in the beginner course and start your journey right now with no experience needed. And if you have already started your journey, then you're in luck because Intermediate is now complete and it's ready to receive applications and enrollments starting soon. So check out animatorsjourney.com to begin or continue your animators journey. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Appreciate it. Hey,
0: thanks for having me, Lucas. Yeah. Great to see you again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see you. And the last time I saw you, we were sitting across from each other, I think in the studio in San Francisco. So it's good to connect again.
0: Yeah. That was like 2018 or 19. Yeah. It's been Cameron. a few
1: years. A lot has happened. Um, yeah, crazy. Normally I start the interviews asking about, and something I don't know about you is how you got into animation. I'm not sure what that, what were the early days of your journey to get to where you are now?
0: Yeah, it really it was a long story, like really long. So when I was in Taiwan, I was I was born in Taiwan, grew up there. And as an Asian student, we really didn't really exposed to any art or movies or anything because everything we do is pretty much just studying and prepare for getting into a good high school and college. It was like the final year in my high school and we were just studying really hard, trying to prepare for this gigantic test to get into a good college. Then for some reason, my good friends, maybe we were just do like stressed out with our daily life at that time. So he showed me this VHS of this Japanese anime. And he's, he told me, like, you will you love this. So I watched it, like, for several days. I was just hooked. And, yeah, that kind of led me to my detour, my kind of, like, career mindset in this whole college thing.
1: Did you immediately make the connection that, like, hey, I could actually do that as a job, or did that take some time to make no. it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was, like, in 96, right? Yeah. I was, like, a teenager. I have no idea what I want to do with my life. And... But that kind of put in a seed in my mind. I I want to know more about this art form. And of course, I went into college. Didn't do too well with that test because I was just like reading comedy, watching anime before the gigantic test. So I didn't do too well. I went to a college and I was just, I joined the anime club. I watched a lot of anime. I made a lot of friends there still. And also I tried to learn drawing. Pretty much just like everybody else copy the characters from all the comics, manga I can find and yeah, it's just started there. I think it was back in 99, my dad's friends, know some friends, works in a Taiwanese animation studio. Oh,
1: wow. Okay. That's
0: yeah. a good connection. Yeah. Good connection. So yeah, during the summer, so I was just introduced to them and starting to work like an internship, but not really. Because I didn't know anything. So I just learned the, pretty much the basic bouncing ball from them at that time. And watched how they actually animated. They, that was all 2D back that time. We were just like learning how to put the paper on the peg, how to draw stuff, how to you see through all the different layers of animation and use your fingers to flip the pages, those kind of stuff. Then after that, because all the men in Taiwan needs to serve for military service. So I graduated college. I did my air service. And at that time, I knew I, I need to keep studying animation. And what did you uh,
1: graduate college? In? Do you have a dis- like a focus that you graduated in college with? or
0: uh, It was yeah. nearing, oh, which okay. I knew nothing about right now. I pretty much just get the degree and get it
1: over with. Fair enough. Yeah. So you kept studying on your own after college then or? Was there pressure to get a job or did you get a job doing like something during the day and then you'd work at night or how did you? So proceed? after college,
0: I was in military service.
1: Oh, sure. Okay.
0: Yeah. Because every man in Taiwan need to do that. And so it was at, towards the end of my military service, it was more relaxed. I didn't do too much of actual theory task. So I just, during my time with my vacation and during my time in the, the military camps, I just pushed a like really rough, ugly portfolio. And I tried to apply all the animation school in United States. Yeah. That was pretty crazy. And for some crazy reason, I got into SCAD.
1: Ah, okay. Which,
0: at that time, it was pretty easy to get in. Yes. Of course I, my, my goal at that time was KEL arts. I could, Beautiful. I, of course I was not good enough to get in. So I got in, into SCAD. I came to the States in 2003 and yeah, that's. Like my beginning of learning animation, how it started.
1: were you doing 3D animation then when you were studying at SCAD or did, were you still doing 2D?
0: Still doing 2D. Oh. I actually did all 2D animation in SCAD uh-huh. because I, I was just pretty stubborn because I love anime. I, I, At that time, I just despised 3D animation. Like most people did back at that time. Yeah, oh, 3D has no souls on Canyon Valley. Those
1: kind of stuff. So after you graduated SCAD, what was the plan? You thought you're going to go work doing 2D back in Taiwan or at your friend's place
0: or? There's more story to this. I was in Scad, although I'm doing 2D animation, but I didn't feel like I was learning, I didn't have a huge improvement on my craft. Then I was just one, one semester. I just tried to get an internship. So I, again, I put it together like a really crappy portfolio. And luckily I got an internship in this small studio in Atlanta called Primal Screen. They did a whole bunch of small ads and bumpers for Cartoon Network.
1: Uh, okay. So it's
0: really short animation clips. So it's really good. It's a small studio. I went in there and yeah, I learned a lot from the animation director there as I think it was Ward and Jeff, I forgot their last name, but they are really talented and it's, it was at that time, I really learned how to break down animation, to break down key poses. Before then, I was just like straight, straight, ahead. straight ahead. Yeah. Yes. Before I got it turned straight ahead animation, just one frame, the second frame and the end to the end. It's until I like learned from those guys Primal Stream. So I really learned how to break down my key poses and then my animation production just increased like tremendously from there. Um, I kind
1: of unlocked like an efficiency, almost in a workflow, you think that you could just do more volume. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, yeah, in that way, I can, I can block out a scene like more quickly to Mm -hmm. see what I'm going to do. And just then after that, it's pretty much in between there. Then back to school, I did a 2D thesis film. By the way, that, that was a, that was a master. It was a graduate program. So I.
1: Oh, ah, okay. So I did it in... Oh, sure, because you had the engineering degree and... Yeah,
0: so I did it in two and a half a year or almost three years to finish that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it was 2006. I got it. I finished my 2D thesis film. Then at that time, I knew, okay, my, my 2D dream is probably going to stop here. Now it's the real world. Yeah,
1: because you were you having a hard time finding work with 2D stuff or you just saw the landscape there just wasn't the Yeah,
0: I saw the landscape. Yeah. I knew I had to learn 3D after I graduated and also finished my first thesis, you know, with 2D and also got an internship with my all my 2D animation was pretty satisfying to me, so could a period on my that time. So again, I apply to another program which is it's a it's called Pixar class which is taught at the Academy of Art in San Francisco. So luckily I get in with my, my 2D stuff It's at there, at that class. I learned the at, the real 3D animation. They, I really learned a lot from Stephen Gregory, Andy Bell, Michael, and the other teacher I forgot, he passed away recently several years ago. Really sad. really sad. Yeah. Then it was at that class. I really learned how do you. Break down your motion in three axes. you're synced in X, Y, Z, rather than you're looking at a like, 2D flat plane and you don't really know what's going on in 3D space. In, the, in 3D animation, you're able to know what's happening on each axis.
1: And how long was that? How long did it take you to get up to speed with that and then start applying for jobs?
0: It was not that long. It was so while I was doing Pixar 2, so I already got like several assignments done in that class. And also, any international student at that time, you only had one year to stay in the state and also work. Hmm. So I was under this pressure. I need to find work to to have somebody to sponsor me a a long term visa. So I was just applying. Then I got a job at a game studio called Factor Five up in San Rafael. So they were doing a, a PS3 game at that time. So yeah, there was this a 3D animation and job.
1: Cool. And you got in with the like you made a reel from the Academy of Art courses. That's the reel that got you your first job.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And at that time, I even told them, okay, I was I was doing this Pixar class, and I'm not come to work on Tuesday, so I needed work assignment. Yeah, and they was like, okay, fine.
1: Oh wow, cool. Yeah. And was, is it the rest is history kind of a thing? Did you, your career just keep progressing? Well, not really. Things?
0: Yeah. There were, there was tons of story there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So five was just like a short-term gig. And also they, at that time, the studio was, in a you know, financial trouble. So I really didn't have a good time there. Yeah. That is after that, again, I just ran apply and everywhere I know. No, and very fortunately Rhythm Hughes hired me right after Infector 5. So awesome. was, well, the first film I worked on was Golden Compass. That oh, was cool. 2007. So it, it was really at
1: that moment, at that film, set up my path on visual effects. That's awesome. Jumping ahead to the avatar, just cause I have so many questions regarding the latest film. So now, yeah. so post that project, have you been, now you're a lead or?
0: So I was leading the project before. It was called Peacemaker. And yeah, I have a title. Everybody has their title for the company, but that doesn't really mean you certainly serve that role for every project you work on.
1: For sure. Got
0: yeah. You. Especially on Avatar, there there are people working on those four or five years. Th- those are the supervisor and lead. Fair enough. I only work on it for one
1: year. Yeah. And there's no way I can jump in there and be leading that way. You know, well, I'm super curious to hear. I saw your LinkedIn post and you mentioned it sound like such a... An amazing experience to work on a project of that scale and just historical significance in film in general, and that you were learning something new every day. felt like going back to school. What were some of those things can you share that you felt like you were learning? Because I feel like I, I look at you and I think there must be nothing else you can learn. You seem so advanced in your field. <laughs> I'm so fascinated oh, to you. hear what could you possibly learn at this stage in your career?
0: Again, it's, it's mostly, first of all, it's the animation quality. This is the most difficult project I've ever worked on. But we have mocap, right? But really, that's only the starting point. There's a still tons, tons of details and observation you need to do to make sure your performance is right on the money from the actor, what the actors and actors were doing at that time. And also James Cameron and John Landau will always keep their sharp eye on us to make sure we are right on the money because they work with these actors performers like years after years they can easily spot something didn't feel quite right
1: and are they comparing like the witness cameras or the head mounted camera with if you're doing facial animation or performance are they doing one-to-one comparisons with the mocap to make sure they're where they need to be or enhancing that to their... Yeah, it
0: was mostly us. We were, do, we were doing this one-on-one comparison. But for them, they can say, this feels wrong. Gotcha, fair enough. Then when we actually compared to that specific print,
1: yeah, You actually looked wrong. Wow, that's impressive. And it sounds like, so you worked on multiple kind of arenas in that film, because between facial maybe and the combat stuff and the creatures, did you touch a little bit of everything or what was your role in that?
0: Yeah, I touched a little bit of everything, And again, I still feel like the facial animation is probably the most difficult. Yeah. So I, oh, a year on the project was not about to grant me on any major facial performance. Yeah. I can only be, I can only do some kind of mid-ground and background and non-heavy dialogue kind of facial performance. And I was already good at creature animation. So I get to do, I wouldn't say a lot because I only work out, work for a year on the project, but the ratio of my creature animation of overall scope of the work I did is like 50%. Cool. Yeah. So I did quite a bit of Ikrons, which is mm-hmm. still my favorite creatures. In the first movie and this movie, it was just so enjoyable. I get to work on Ikrons because in the first film, I love those flying sequences. It was just so iconic. And I really, everybody need to study how to date in the first film. And you really need to nail that same vibe
1: what were some of the key takeaways like when you're watching the first one how did you translate that are you taking notes and bullet points what would those bullet points be or how are you relating that into your own work
0: there there's a lot to to talk about i'll just give you an example just like the shape of igron's wing It's it's a very iconic angle shape and you really need to maintain that shape through throughout all the flying pattern and because if you try to post it like too much, let's that's, that's put it that way, if you, you try to do too much, you, you will easily feel like, it, it doesn't feel like an icon anymore. Yeah. So that's one thing I learned from yes, yes, the first time. You
1: know, yeah. When I, when we were working across from each other, one of the, I was so excited to just have proximity to you in the studio so I could always look over your shoulder what you were doing, working on. Oh, yes. And I can remember walking past one time and you were animating a T-Rex I think it was for something for Netflix or something. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was a short film for that. And I was asking you, I had a a question about just how you're able to achieve the weight and that kind of creature performance. And if I'm remembering right, I think something that you mentioned was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about most people tend to, I don't know if it was something like to the effect of on the settles or the kind of direction changes that people take too long and the catching the weight is actually much shorter than people usually have time. Is that?
0: Yeah, is yeah, that, yeah, yeah, Am yeah. I remembering I had, that right? Gotta, okay. Gotta, yeah. yeah. So it's when people do, or ex- they say you, you did it like yeah. a one cycle and ex- exercise. People tend to have that center weight, keep dropping down after the leg contact. So you have it like this really bouncy and cartoony dropping down, going then going up, dropping down, going up. But in real life, when our body mass drops down, our leg is strong enough to hold that mass. So you really have only have one or two frames of dropping down after the leg contact the ground.
1: After that, it's like, if it's flat, then you need to go up. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any other kind of, especially like flying creatures, are there kind of shorthands that you use in terms of thinking, similarly to that one or two frame weight catch, there, are there things like that you do when you're animating flying creatures to know, have a shorthand about how many frames things take or how, what makes this a believable performance that you keep in mind?
0: I would say, I, I just look at a lot of reference. Yeah. Actually, for anything, you you have to look at reference. You cannot just imagine. Although I have done so many creature animation, realistic animation. If I'm going to animate just a dog walk cycle, run cycle, I would just, I will never just do it from by memory. Although I can probably do that, but I still pull out my reference to see what kind of creature I'm doing, what kind of size, the leg, leg, length, and I'm trying trying to find the closest reference I can find to see what was is there something unique about this creature? So back to the flying creature, it's study reference and see how your how your wing pattern affecting the how the body actually floats in the air. Sure. Yeah.
1: The relationship between the wing and the body and how it's, yeah. Yeah. It's so actually.
0: it was on Peacemaker. I spent a lot of time studying those
1: reference. and because oh, were you animating the eagle then on that? Yes. Oh, cool. That was yeah. really well done.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was a really fun project. James Gunn was really great to work with. And yeah, so flying pattern is a something really important. So... I just create a bunch of like different wind patterns. So there are like strong, really strong wind flap and grip and some like a regular wind flap or those kind of like, like more high frequency, but you are really only flapping on the primary and secondary feather, if that makes sense. Sure. It's only sheer. And then. Would there that be more like for the that.
1: landings, I think?
0: Yeah. So those flapping is kind for them to decrease speed. Or just hand, hay in the air. Yeah. So you, you, so you can need to put all those different flap wing patterns in there then, and then also compare the reference to see if it actually feel right.
1: On on a project like that, or really any of them, how has your workflow changed? We talked about the kind of Eureka moment, going, breaking down poses and getting into pose to pose as opposed to straight ahead. How has it changed now? Are you doing pose to pose? Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Post to pose, yeah, it was a 3D way. And also that was still beginning on my career. I was doing that on Golden Compass and stuff. Then I quickly realized that's it was too slow. Yeah, you, in, in visual effects, you have to give the client like pretty much a flash out animation, like as fast as you can. So I'm going back to sort of like a straight ahead approach, but in a 3D way. So if I'm going to have a character just moving across some place, yeah, I would do, that was not a good example, because I would do walks, cycle, and then put it on a path if we have a path to it, and do it that way.
1: Yeah, because I was curious how you plan those shots out, because I know, especially, you know, I teach people to animate, and so I feel like where people get tripped up is so much of teaching animation is about cycles. And then when they're given a shot that's more performance-based, and maybe the shot you could like you're describing. Maybe you could use a cycle for a little bit of it, but then you have to go off the rails. They're going up and over right. terrain or doing something different. Is there a different way that you approach those kind of? Do you just slide things in and layer stuff in, or how do you keep with pose to pose? And if so, is that always splined like out? I would say just... if I have a cycle, it's really hard to talk about it without example. Sure. Is there an example? <laughs> is there an example that you've worked on in a movie that comes to mind that?
0: Okay, so there was a one shot in Transformer <laughs> 4. There was a, it was a beginning of the movie and there was a bunch of dinosaurs trying to running away from spaceship or something. So I, I did a lot of cycles for these Brontosaurus and of course there was a tiny little dinosaurs walk, running in the foreground and also a lot of them Median size of dinosaurs kind of running and crashing into each other. And of course, look at reference, I refer back to King Kong, 2005 King Kong, when those brontosaurs stamping on each other. So I had those cycles, I made them run to put them on it. We did a have pass tool in IOM. So it was pretty much top, top node. And you just pretty much move them where you want them, regardless if the feet are sliding or not, then. I moved them and I did my collision animation on top of those and then I back down my feet. Of course the leg by that time is all messed up. So you really have to pretty much reanimate the feet to make to see what kind of animation, what kind of leg animation would make sense to support the weight, especially during the stumble. Yeah. There was like no course. pretty much no yeah. there's no tricks on that. It's like a four animation.
1: Force. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that's another thing that my, I feel like a lot of students start, especially with quadruped, obviously you're working with twice as many legs when you transition to trying creature stuff. And knee pops are always such a an issue and trying to maintain a sense of weight without having the spacing go too much or too little or too poppy on the knees. Is there anything, especially with like hip rotation or the scapula, is there, is there any kind of system that you have to approach that in an organized way, or you just do it every time in the context of the shot, like kind of you're describing.
0: I would say it's more like every time the feed planet, I look at it schedule because there's no, unless it's a cycle, but there's no, no one look contact artist. They are all different. It depends on the speed of the creature and the terrain, you know, all different factors.
1: When you're doing a big shot like that, are you getting buy off on are you showing it with feet sliding to make sure before you start locking stuff down that you have approval at that stage? Or how is that approval process work to make sure you're being efficient? I guess it depends on each show and the supervisors and a lot of variables.
0: Yeah. The recent memory I have one is, was uh, was something I did for IOM, but, but it was a tense and the project didn't get grounded. But it, it was a kid it's running around. around. But I need to show up blocking pretty soon. But I did not have a cycle. So I just did a like post to bow pants, which is just to show client. I'm gonna throw it away. So I show that. I scratched everything. I did my old cycle, put it in there and did my own way for the final
1: gotcha. And are you using animation layers at all in your workflow to build on top of cycles or do you go bake it down and then go into
0: I used to not to do any layers because animation layers just makes confuses thing. But right now at Weta Everybody uses animation layer, so I use it too. Yeah, and especially for for our pipeline for, for the structure our puppet, it's very crucial to use animation layer.
1: That's cool. Yeah, because I I know another studio, one of the big ones, that you can't even use animation layers in their pipeline, or you have to bake everything down at least. But yeah, it's interesting to hear that. that's at uh, What uh that's cool. Is there it, like anything else out, I can't imagine working on Avatar for a year or even really a day. It must've been super overwhelming to be on a project of that scale where you ever, get, and I'm sure there's plenty of ups and downs and all kinds of things. Can you share any insight to just what a day-to-day kind of process would be like? Were you given shots and given free reign and, or were there dailies and you were stuck to a schedule? And- you know,
0: what, like this project is really well managed and although we were, we were working tons of overtime, but... I never feel stressed out.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Yeah.
0: It was a really well-organized team and great leadership from Denver. And of course, my team, Super Steven and Clay, they're all really good planning at what needs to be done for the day when we need to send the shots and make achievable goal for you. Yeah.
1: Do you ever feel like you're getting, do you you enjoy the creature work or do you ever feel like you're getting typecast as all all doing a lot of creature work. or Do you ever want to branch out a little bit or is that sticking with that?
0: I needed to branch out because the project we are getting is just so has multiple kind of stuff in mm-hmm. there. And But I would say, yeah, I still love creature work the most because in visual effects world, that's the only chance you're going to keyframe something. Yeah, uh,
1: sure. That's a good point.
0: Yeah, that's not actually correct. You still need to keyframe a lot of stuff for DG Double or Avatar sure. or...
1: In general though, yeah. Yeah, All but right. yeah. Speaking of that, I'm curious, just because I've worked on some under-the-water type work lately, I'm curious about, because you worked on Kong, and you you worked on the shot with the battle with the kind of octopus creature. How did you think tentacles in general are just, I don't know, to me they're intimidating, and I feel like I keep getting some tentacle-related something every year I'm doing something. I'm like, oh my God, I gotta do 10. Right. How would you, how do you approach those shots? Do you feel the same way? What advice would you give someone like me? Who's like, I always tries to, feels intimidated yeah. by those. So I
0: work on the shot with Kong, already finished killing the squid or octopus, and he's eating the tentacles. Yeah. yeah. It, you know what? It's, it's actually some of us up, you got to look at reference just yeah. to see what the real squid or octopus are doing. The movement they're doing from the tentacle is sometimes they, they, they looks like they are moving along a path and there are a certain point that the certain point of the tentacle is going to stick to a geometry or terrain. But there are times they are just slapping around. So I, yeah, I guess what you really need is a good rig to, to switching between those modes without wigging out and, and.
1: I had a, yeah, I basically made my own rig out of locators, a thing, because there was um it would be like, a, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was like a stretch IK thing where if you rotated something, the geo would actually slide through where the control points were. So you could never know, okay, it would kind of anchor and be like, this part of the tentacle is going to be here at this controller always. It would right. like, slide back and forth. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I'm, and then I just went to like world... You need, both,
0: you need both mode, actually. So you need one, you need a mode where it maintains the length to slide through the controls. You also need a mode where you can tell a certain control to to lock those geometry down. You need both. And you need to dial, dial in between those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's good to think about. And it's one of those things I feel like in production, if you're, I was thrown this thing and I didn't really have time to even learn the rig, it's, you just have to, roll with the punches and do your best and so i don't even know maybe there was something in the rig somewhere but it's yeah anyway it was mayhem for a little while you talked about having good leadership on at weta and having good experiences what do you find is you have experience being a lead and also as a supervisor at atomic or i guess maybe met was it at maybe they changed what do you find are good attributes for people in leadership roles and, or things to avoid for people who are in leadership roles?
0: I think the first thing is really, you really need to put your ego aside because during my career, early on my career, definitely experienced a lot of soup, trying to put a lot of their, no idea in there without showing the client, they ended up being leading people to the wrong path. So that, that would be the first thing I would do. But again, you don't really, being a leader of soup, that doesn't really mean you just don't have your own opinion, and you just show everything to client, having client tell you what to do, that would be pretty bad because a client actually expect you to deliver something good for their movie. So it's a fine balance between knowing the filmmakers' of the vision and understand what needs to be done. And also on top of their vision, what can be improved, but not detoured. Yeah. And that, I think that comes with experience. And also your understanding aesthetically of your filmmaker, you obviously, you need to study what kind of film they did before, or if this is a, if this is a franchise, what kind of aesthetic has been established before. If this is something, if this is completely new stuff, uh, I would suggest you still based off your aesthetic, previous well done visual effects film or live, live action reference. And you establish that aesthetic early on with your, your, with the tests you're doing and show the client and get a buy-off. So you your, what's the kind of tone you are setting for this film. Yeah. So I think that's really important to know about this stuff. So without you are leading the team to the wrong direction.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. I've seen both sides of that before as well. I'm actually starting a job as a lead soon. So that's why I'm asking for personal reasons too. Yeah. Cool yeah is there anything in your career or that you would do differently looking back or if you could give yourself advice when you were starting out or on the first few years was there anything that you would change or do different not really yeah <laughs> not really it's worked yeah. out pretty good yeah yeah fair yeah i'm uh, yeah i'm pretty
0: happy all the place i worked for and all the choices i made all the projects i worked on yeah there there were definitely yeah i can actually tell you a uh, One more story set up my mindset. So it was on on Incredible Hulk. That was 2008, Incredible Hulk. Then, so I was still, I just still starting out. So I listened to all the notes and all the notes that the supervisor gave me. But by the end of the show, I only finished three shots. So I worked on that film for six months. So I was thinking, doing everything they told me to do, but I didn't get anything done. There, There must be something wrong. So then I realized it was because... Like I mentioned before, the soups doesn't re- really, understand the vision of the filmmaker, then the, the nose lead you the wrong way. And I finally the showed you the client. It was not getting approved. So I got to redo stuff. That happens a lot in visual effects. Then, so at that time I like changing my mindset, okay, I'm gonna put my vision into my shot. If that gets shot down, I'm okay with it. I'm not just gonna do the nose blindly. So I'm going to, I'm not going to make sure my first pass is as good as it can be, as complete as it can be. So I convey my vision to my soup and also that could also convey my vision to the client. So it's after that, the, my production just went skyrocket.
1: Or did you, yeah. yeah, so it sounds like you have to have some courage almost to put your ideas out there and take something far enough along that it's clear. Did you. Because in the end of the day, the client just want to see something good and
0: cool in their show. Of course, there are filmmakers know exactly what they want, like James Cameron. But for the most part, you have to put yourself out there and put your best foot forward. And if that gets shut down, that's totally fine.
1: We try it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that kind of goes ahead. Maybe that's an answer for my next question would be like, what advice would you give? And maybe, I don't know if there's a, in particular, people you've come across in the industry or that you've been in a leadership role for them? If people are listening who are a new student or they're trying to get in the industry and they can't or haven't been able to yet, is there any advice that you'd give them to focus their attention? This is a big question.
0: I guess if you are already working in the industry, you can see, you can find out what do you really like to do. If you are in game, you want to do film, I would say, yeah, you have to prepare your stuff towards film to, to get a, a job in a film. And if you want to do from visual effects, you want to do animation, feature animation, yeah, spend some time doing your personal tests and do try to get a giant feature film, but, I'm, but I haven't switching because I've been sticking with video effects the whole time. I don't know how easy it is to, to switching between different fields right now. Yeah. Like my stuff will be no use for Pixar.
1: Yeah. Which I think for people who don't have experience, that just sounds totally crazy because they everything, animation is animation. People have not done it. They don't realize how specialized it gets. Yeah. And I would like to think I have a head start on some of it, but yeah, it's its own beast in some ways, sw- trying to switch. But have you been involved in the hiring process ever, just reviewing reels? Or is there any advice that you see or people mistakes people making? Or well, we talked about weight a little bit. I know New students typically struggle with that. Is there anything uh, like right. that that you find consistent? Again,
0: o- over the years, I've been seeing several reels, but again, I'm really looking from visual effects perspective and looking from student reels. Most of the time, they, their quality of assignment are way, way better than what I did back in the school. But when they actually come started to work, I do find them, that happens a lot of time. Like they have a hard time breaking down their emotion in three axes and I tend to think in pose rather in motion. And what I mean by that is it's very easy to fix a bad pose, but it's just more, more involved and more complicated if you try to fix a spacing or timing. But I actually think spacing and timing are probably the most important thing in animation. Way more important than anything else. That makes sense, to you Yeah,
1: hundred percent. Yeah, and I think it makes sense too. How people typically learn—they learn pose to pose first, so they're focused on silhouette and you know, line of action, and not as much what's the energy and spacing, timing right. of us and of the general motion. Even if it's just a ball moving through a scene to represent the center of mass or whatever. For me, it's helped to do. I started to take a more layering approach. And not doing block, sorry, stepped blocking, just, just almost go like straight ahead with auto tangents and just get a general sense of how this is going to go. And then almost kind of reverse engineer it with poses after the fact that do you, I mean, with, with VFX and moving plates or full CG shots are typically, I guess, not blocking and step. Do you take a, you're always in spline approach?
0: Yeah. I'm always in spline.
1: Yes. And I guess that makes sense too, with your advice. It's a lot harder to see that timing and spacing. If you're in steps, you're having to invent that a bit in your brain based on how long the poses are being held.
0: There, They are still used for step mode when we're, if we are doing, let's say, previous.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah.
0: It's like you're doing 3D storyboard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to ha- do you think that helps communicate it, whoever you're showing it to, that's the stage that you're at, so they're not getting confused on, on anything too. I feel like it's a visual shorthand of, hey, this is Early um, days.
0: I guess that depends on the filmmaker. Yeah. yeah some filmmakers can read it, but some don't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I, we're almost to the hour. Is there anything left that you would impart your wisdom on anyone listening to? Yeah. Actually I'm surprised I haven't talked about
0: Life of Pi yet. Yeah. So it is still by so far in my most satisfying spine project. And mm. again, back in Hughes. We didn't get to do a lot of the A-list of visual effects film. So Life of Pi was like one of the rare ones we got. Most of the time when we do animal, they, they need to start dancing or talking. So this one is just completely realistic. Then I was not slated to, to be on that project. I hope we get on the project from day one. (laughs) So they put me on Life of Pi. Then it was early day where we're doing all these tiger tests to really try to match our CG tiger to the real tiger. Now it was at, during that time, I really spent a lot of time to, to study the difference between the usual c- cartoony animation and realistic animation. So there, there was a lot of u- unevenness and also there's certain movement these animals do, you, you just wouldn't do it in, in, if you just animated regularly. For example, they can, the tiger can just move from completely stand still and suddenly just without any t- anticipation, the paw just swipe you like really quickly. So that's something I, I would never imagine to do in our regular keyframe animation. Yeah. So going through that process, it helped me to have a really good understanding of how the leg works, how the leg and scapula support the weight, and if I, if my, the weight drops how does it get a support like i mentioned before it doesn't keep sinking it's it's like you're getting supported by a strong leg and it's getting tilted by by one places and by by the leg getting the plant support and it's it's all those details make the animation looks realistic so it's all after those process those practices then i can confidently feel like if there's a shot where the tigers need to do something we couldn't find any reference for that i can probably still do it and may make the whole shot look believable
1: yeah that So that makes sense and inject that kind of would you call it noise or just unevenness i think is the word you used. yeah it you know? was not a really noise. it was an yeah. un- unevenness
0: basically nothing is really ever completely smooth there's always something, something. affecting another thing let's say maybe the head swing the head is pulling your chest, and the chest is head affecting your hip. Those kind of things.
1: From a kind of tech, more technical way of organizing that stuff, are you switching spaces so that as you're working from the leader or driver to the what's being driven down the chain or up the chain or whichever way, are you changing spaces so that you're not messing up what you did before? How do you organize? Like how you approach something like that. Are you always counter animating something? Are you working in world space or?
0: I was at back on Life of Pi, I still maintain everything in their local space. Uh, but again, we have a really robust, ultra-puppet, a rig. And, but it didn't, it it was not as easy to switching space back at that time. So I, I still do it all in the rig. So right now I'm doing probably a little bit more of uh, switching, let's say my head or maybe the chest in, in a world, but it's only when I feel like I haven't taken the whole animation as far as I can for them to stay in the local space. I can probably do a little polishing to, by switching them to world.
1: And then not mess up everything else. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because that interconnection between the whole creature, the whole spine
1: to the head is really important. That's awesome. Do you work on personal shots still at all? Or are you just? No. Yeah. Well,
0: always never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you especially, especially right, right now work. our, our yeah. work is, weather is so busy. Like yeah, every day there's a new challenge
1: and new stuff to, to think about. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like looking at the work that you do, I'm just like, I don't know if you, could, you seem to get like super meaty kind of shots and work for creatures. I don't know what you would have left on your plate to have wanted to. Yeah, again,
0: at a stage of my career, like I I don't really care about what shot I get anymore. It's a, yeah, it's helping people to get their shot to look better. is a, a much more
1: enjoyable experience for me. Yeah.
0: That's the mindset I have right now.
1: That's awesome. Is there any, when you're doing that, is there any, is there anything that comes up consistently that you find when you're trying to help people at like timing and spacing or? Going back to reference, like you're saying to find that unevenness or. Yeah. I would say find, look at your reference, doing your study
0: is probably the most crucial. Even if you are just an animated human, everybody seems thought they, they understand the human most of the time, but even for a simple jump, I pull off a reference to look at, to look at how the detail of how the human jump. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. It's a good reminder because there's sometimes I feel like I get rushed into things and I don't, I don't take that to heart sometimes. So it's a good reminder.
0: Yeah, again, YouTube
1: is, right.
0: So some of the old reference on YouTube, I couldn't find it anymore. So there, there are stuff mm. taking out after years. But I would say YouTube is still a good resource. And then BBC Motion Library
1: is good. Yeah. Yeah, I guess because they, they have all the nature documentaries and stuff they probably pull yeah. from or. Is there anything that like impresses you as, if someone was to animate a demo reel shot, is there anything that would, that you've seen recently that impresses you, or you could think that someone could do that would impress you in terms of the scope of the shot that they're working on? Demo reel-wise? No, I haven't seen any demo reel
0: recently. I can talk about certain shots on the project I'm working on, but I cannot tell you what project that is. Sure. Um, We had it. I have an animator. Of course, we have mocha for these shots. So the general idea is there, but it's, it's having them pushing what's there and getting, of course, there, there's also camera placement involved. So you, you have to push your animation, push your pose, also slow down the timing. on The motion, the mocha is from a human. So you have to slow down the time to match to a more larger creature. So it's doing those process. After those process, the fine, the end results just looks way better. So that, that's the stuff i seen recently. It feels like they're really impressive. And again, I just feel like I'm really fortunate to work at Weta because we have so many talented and passionate animator work at the same place and amount of resource we have access, like a, like a mocap stage. We can just mocap something just right there. Everybody can put on a suit to, to mocap something. It would just make the whole animation process so much easier. And if you're getting away of any technical difficulties and make you focus on the art. Yeah, I just feel really fortunate to be at WIDA. It sounds really like political. Yeah, no, I,
1: I think a lot of people would understand that. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing place to work. And yeah, thanks for sharing the insights from your journey. And again, I want to be sensitive to your time. We're past We're past the hour mark, so I don't want to no problem. up was your you. morning there, but thanks for taking the time to chat. And uh, yeah, okay. Hopefully, we'll talk again soon. So, I just want to thank Kevin Land for being here today and sharing his insight and wisdom over the many years and amazing projects that he's worked on. Thanks for joining us today, Kevin Land. Is there anywhere that people like to follow you online? Or I know you post on LinkedIn sometimes.
0: Yeah, I guess just LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, you can find me cool. on LinkedIn. Awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me, Lucas. Yeah,
1: great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for Animator's Journey so you're notified of the next time the podcast releases a new episode. And of course, as always, you can find me at animatorsjourney.com if you want to continue or begin your animator's journey in learning how to animate 3D animation. Thanks for listening.